Two guys, two topics, two, two, two. two opinions. You talk, give me two. This is the split story of the day on 975-1280 the zone. And the zone sports network. Joining us now from the athletic, Stuart Mandel. How adaptable is college football to the point where a season could get started and then there could be an intermission? I think colleges would be adaptable. They wouldn't really have a choice otherwise. I think the issue would be pushing games past January. If it truly is a spring sport and you get to February, March, April, a lot of seniors or top juniors or draft prospects would have to shut it down. And so it would be pretty chaotic for the coaches in terms of managing their roster. It's just going to be chaos is the best way to put it. But what choice do they have? Like, not playing football season, I keep saying it, it's just not an option. So, Gordon, you have a new column up, sltrib.com. It kind of goes hand-in-hand with the big national news of the day. There's a uh, a great write-up from Mark Schlaba. Schlaba? Am I saying that right? Schlaba. 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 And Paula Levine at ESPN.com. It's a, it is a very thorough breakdown of the, the financials and the ramifications uh, of, uh, of college football. And, uh, Gordon, let's uh, dig into your column, talk about it a little bit, and we can kind of lay out what uh, ESPN is reporting as well. Well, it seems as though there's a, this perpetual hope and, and a, a scramble, really, searching for ways to get started again. The NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, the NFL obviously is uh, uh, at a different time in its uh, uh, calendar, but they're, they're trying to get, you know, they issued their scheduling uh, for the fall. Uh, you and I talked about it earlier in the week. The governors from New York, Texas, and California have now said that they're looking ahead to having uh, pro sports uh, events going on, live games, uh, albeit in front of empty stadiums or stands. But uh, college football has everybody we talk to with college football seems like they're super motivated to uh, get their games in. And, uh, and, and, and I get all that. I get all that. But there are still the concerns that you and I have talked about on a regular basis. Uh, and one example, have you noticed how a lot of people seem to be talking about wanting to get like schools started early so that they could uh, maybe uh, get it in before Thanksgiving or something? I almost right. get the feeling that there's this idea that something ominous uh, is going to emerge again uh, as we get deeper into winter. And we have talked to experts. We had Dr. Angela Dunn on our show talking about a second wave that's possible. And um, I think people are looking at that and thinking, okay, how, how are we going to adjust for that? And then there's all the other things involved that are, the, are including the details of how these sporting events are going to be done, even if it's in front of a, in front of a, a is that the wind or is that a jet? Oh, that's the wind. Okay, just, just a, I, a little windy, just a, just a, a, a funnel cloud passing by. Don't worry about me. <laughs> Toto too. My All right, so. Oh man! Anyway, you, uh, you were. You I were hope saying. you don't land on the Wicked Witch of the East or whatever. Anyway, so uh, so even if these games are played in front of empty stadiums, uh, then what happens? How will the testing be done? You and I have gone through this time and time again. Uh, how much testing is available? What is the look of these leagues paying all this money for the tests? And then you have people who really need the tests who 
who don't have quick availability to them. What happens if athletes test positive? Are they going to be quarantined away from the rest of the team? Does the rest of the team play on? Do the coaches play on? What happens to the medical staff, the trainers? Uh, it's uh, it, it's a complicated thing, and people are tr- are grappling with this and trying to find solutions because everybody wants sports to start again, but only with uh, with the understanding that it will indeed be safe. And you and I have gone back and forth on this time and time again. I understand that the financial conditions are severe. I mean, the people's jobs at stake and all it's, it, those are important things, but so is the general public health. So I don't, Jake, I, I sort of went through it with, with what I'm thinking. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I, this is why I thought your column went well hand in hand with this ESPN story uh, today, because uh, it really lays out in, in significant detail just what's at stake and how much comes from where from a from a financial standpoint. It's 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 really good. Uh, the total the total number that could be lost um, with the, if the entire football season is canceled is somewhere around four billion dollars mm-hmm. uh, for this year. And uh, the the article goes through, you know, how what different level of schools, how they would be affected. Uh, I learned a couple of things that we haven't talked about, Gordon. Like maybe smaller schools are a little bit better equipped to not better than say a the a P five school because it's different because the P five school can rely on t on TV money, and if they do play the game in some way, shape, or form, they can still get that revenue stream. Whereas a G five school. Uh, a TV money makes up a significantly lower portion of their overall budget. Uh, but also those those G5 schools rely a lot more on government funding, which in this case would actually play into their favor because some of that revenue can, you know, is not necessarily beholden to what's going on out there in the market or even playing games, right? So they might be a little bit uh, better equip, uh, equipped, but one thing is is for sure ticket revenue is a giant giant uh, part of the pie still, and uh, that that's going to be a significant issue. But it, it did also get into the ramifications of uh, of schools taking these budget hits right down to schools that that could be prepared, and that's two Georgia and Texas A and M. But uh, pretty much the the dire circumstances that everybody else is in, uh, and it it does point out. Um, how beholden these athletic departments are to football. I mean, that is that is evident that this is a huge, huge portion of these uh, of uh, these athletic departments just depend on this one sport. And actually, Jake, schools. Did... Uh, sorry, Gordon. Just one, uh, schools actually saved money by canceling spring sports. Think about that for a second. That they, you know, we we think of athletics generating money. Well, that was they saved a bunch of money by canceling those sports. So, how what percentage of schools do you think do depend on football for for to to float the rest of the department? And and what percentage uh, does football cost the school money? Oh, I would think that. Because um, in some cases it is the other way. Now, not in the cases that you were referring to, but uh, obviously Alabama football generates an awful lot of money. Well, also you've got to think, and, and they take into account that even that four billion dollars doesn't necessarily include donations that go along with football. So that's a that's another piece of it. Uh, Gordon, in answer to your question, I would say 
man, programs their football costs there. I mean, just reading through this, it sounds like pretty much every athletic department depends on football in a variety of different ways. And we think about TV money and ticket revenue, but it's so much more than that. And uh, it, it is uh, donations, and it is, you know, like uh, where you have to donate to the Cougar Club to get your season tickets and, and uh, the advertising and sponsorship dollars and all those things that, that come with it as well is just huge, huge sums of revenue. Um, it does go through it. I, I should find the, the schools that uh, the majority, it's only a couple, the majority of their budgets come from outside, like come from the government or student fees. And so maybe that's the answer to your question. Um, but it's very few. That's what my speculation would be. Very few. I, what, do you, what do you make of the whole idea of people trying to schedule around a second wave? Because I was reading somewhere that when the Spanish flu hit all those years ago, 100 years ago, that it, it did come in waves. And that uh, there, there was a, a lessening of restrictions that uh, kind of backfired a little bit. And uh, there was a, there was a, another severe wave of it. And I wonder if, if they're projecting ahead to that sort of thing. And obviously that coincides with parts of the football season. It really makes me wonder uh, about the danger of that. Because the first time I, I heard of a, a second wave was in talking to Angela Dunn. Uh, in my series of interviews that I had for the Tribune and that you and I had with her on the air. And, and she brought that up on a number of occasions. And I thought that better be listened to, you know? Um, I think, I think planning, maybe a lesson that we've learned in all this is, is planning is never a bad idea. So planning for something like that, which which certainly has been talked about uh, by by people uh, in the know outside of uh, Dr. Dunn as well. So, I mean, if that's something that you feel and the people, you know, making these decisions are talking to these experts and that's something that uh, should be planned for, you know, I'll, I'm all for it. I don't I really don't think it hurts to make plans as long as you're amenable to adjusting them, too, because yeah. we're all in the dark in in one way, shape or form. Uh, in this, including the epidemiologists who have never seen this particular virus before. So I think, uh, like I said, a lesson I've learned through all this or, or in, in trying to take into my daily life is that planning's not a bad idea. It doesn't hurt to plan. You know, what, what's the worst that happens then? You adjust your plan a little bit or you scrap a plan altogether. And then at what point have you wasted anything other than time, you know? So if if these uh, universities or governors or whoever we're talking about feel like, you know, that might be a good plan to mitigate risk, then I'm on board. Sure. I, I think we're, I think we're all about planning uh, to mitigate risk. I think that's what we got to do. And if it does arise, I, I don't know how expensive would it be to, to have to make accommodation for that sort of thing. Um, if it were to come back in a strong second wave, then do you you suspend? How much does it cost to suspend a season? Uh, probably less than it costs to cancel one, right? Yeah, I I guess. Uh, how difficult uh, I, would that be? I don't know. No, you know I mean, with like, contracts, contracts, and all, all the things that go into it. Uh, maybe if the, those stadiums are going to be empty, then that would simplify some of the adjustments that need to be made. But and and I I still hear 
some administrators say, oh, no, the stadiums will be, there will be people there, you know, and I, I think to myself, will there really? I mean, you can be a little lighter and a little more nimble if uh, you're not having to move people around like that. I guess uh, my thought is, is I never would have thought it would have been possible just to suspend an NBA season in the matter of an hour. And, <laughs> you know, extreme, extreme, uh, extreme, uh, what am I looking for? Circumstances sometimes require extreme measures. And, and you know, we they did that because it was necessary. And bam, you know, uh, it had to happen and it did happen. So, you know, I, I guess, Gordon, if, if circumstances were there in the fall where, uh, you know, adjustments had to be made and things had to be shut down, then I, I think if anything these last couple of months have proven is that we'll, we'll do it. You know, and if, if you come back and college football lasts two games and you figure out that you're, the solutions to the problem uh, were not solutions and you shut it down, then you shut it down. I mean, that's, that's just what's going to have to happen, right? Well, uh, more and more people are asking questions about it and uh, looking into it to the best uh, of their ability because we still don't have a full set of facts. And as you were talking about, that's that that's not going to be the case. I think this thing is going to twist and turn, and it's going to be hard to, to get a real good read on what the probabilities are, uh, and that affects also the possibilities. Yep, it it, uh, it certainly does. Uh, I mean, I'm just uh, reading here the, the latest from Sham Sharania about the NBA engaging uh, in discussions with several national coronavirus testing providers, which will be a central component of any subsequent plan to restart the 1920 season. I mean, there's the NBA going to an extreme measure to pull this thing off and, and, and to make it safe. That's great. Did well, I read somewhere, Jake, that it? Uh, where, where, where's the where's the bubble favorite now? It's Orlando, and we're going to talk Orlando. to Sam. We're going to talk to Sam Amick about that because uh, he's been big part of that reporting. Yeah. Okay. Good. So, all right, Gordon, uh, you found a report on CBSSports.com that talks about uh, one maybe extreme measure that they would take to salvage some of that revenue. Yeah, they said uh, as I was reading the article, it talked about how. Back when the owners got stuck with what was it, two hundred and eighty million dollar uh, deal with the uh, with the collusion that they ended up uh, to help offset the expense, uh, they they expanded by a couple of teams, and that that's been a pattern in the past. And so, if Major League Baseball has lost a billion dollars already the, so far this season, they were talking that that could be a viable way for team owners to recoup some of that loss and then i started thinking well anytime you talk about expansion in major league baseball it makes me think okay where are the prospective markets i mean i hear portland a lot maybe las vegas salt lake city where are the others uh let's see manti uh, I would think uh, Billings. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I, I I get your point. Yeah, there's markets, especially ours, uh, as our population has has really grown, and uh, the tech industry. I think would would maybe make uh, uh, the Wasatch Front a, a useful partner for Major League Baseball. But can I tell you that I love this idea? See, this is outside the box stuff. You know, if it would help offset some costs, and uh, you know. 
Hey, expand your brand. I know that, you know, you're splitting the pie two different ways, but, you know, extreme times. So I, I love this this line of thinking for Major League Baseball. And if we could get a team here, that would be amazing. The only thing is, Gordon, it's kind of like inflation in a weird way where you have you can't do it too much with this expansion. If you look into Major League Soccer, their financials rely way too much on expansion or at least have in the past where the only way they've been able to stay afloat is by rapid expansion hockey uh it it was similar with hockey in the what late 90s early 2000s where you've got to kind of guard against you know doing it too much uh just to get those expansion fees but if you're just trying to to you know generate some revenue in a tough time to to you know get some cash into things absolutely i i love it i hope they They should really look at it I don't think the players union would have a problem with it. It would create a bunch of new jobs and then uh, minor league baseball benefits from it. Because obviously, if you add two more major league teams, they have to have a minor league system. Right. I hope. Uh, and so and here's here's the question. And I don't know how much it would cost to to uh, secure the rights for an expansion team. But if it is a billion dollars. Does anybody around here have a billion dollars? Well, other than the guy I'm talking to? <laughs> I, I just wonder, because it seems as though in these tough ec- economic times right now, I mean, I don't know how many people are eager to throw around that kind of money, but you would expect some uh, per- prospective owners out there, be this would be really compelling to them. And I wonder if anybody around here would be interested in that sort of thing. When I had this discussion with Larry Miller many moons ago, I, it was probably 15 years ago or so, um, he said that he thought that Salt Lake City would be able eventually to support a Major League Baseball team. He thought it would be 20 years or so uh, before it would be prepared. But he said if they could get, if, if owners here, and I don't know whether he was talking about himself or, or talking about others, but he said if they could get a team at a, a good price, uh, and he was talking about getting an existing team. We weren't talking about expansion at that time. He, he thought it would be doable. And Larry, one thing about Larry, he was a visionary, man. That guy could see the future and could see what the possibilities were, and I think his his uh, resume uh, speaks loudly in that regard. People talk about sponsorship dollars being necessary in order to support that kind of thing, not just population. But is Salt Lake to the point now where it has both the population and the uh, corporate uh, firepower? You know, Gordon, I, I don't know. Uh, we're certainly a lot closer to that than we were uh, when uh, when Larry told you that. I mean, we're, population and, uh, you know, our economy is is, is growing and, and has been very, very good. But uh, let me answer your question in, in two ways. One, the way that it would actually happen, and two, that, that would be in jest, all right? Okay. Major League Baseball, look at what Magic Johnson did with the with the Dodgers 
when he bought them from uh, Frank McCourt. He put together an investment group, and that's that's how anybody is going to probably afford these uh, these franchise fees. There would have to be one significant investor who who would put everything together, and I certainly think that we would have some investors along the Wasatch Front that would be capable of that. So whoever you know buys the, especially in Major League Baseball, it seems the days of you know Scrooge McDuck buying a team. Uh, appear to be in our rearview mirror. It would be more of a of an investment group going in and and uh, paying the the expansion rights fees. But here's my ingest outside of the box solution. All right. Okay. Now, how about the the church buys a baseball team? Don't they say that the the BYU athletics and specifically the football uh, team? Is there kind of billboard, in a sense, to uh, to uh, spread the good word? Wouldn't a Major League Baseball team do that? Well, the name the Saints is already taken. In football, not in baseball. I, of course, am, am kidding. I'm joking. It'd be the most polite uh, umpire-manager relationships you'd ever see. Excuse me, I disagree. Excuse me, but brother have umpire. A, but you have a you you have yourself a wonderful game. I'm I'm just kidding. We'll see but, you at the uh, refreshments, seventh inning. Um, but well, it, there, there there have been news reports that uh, <clears throat> the uh, there's a certain church in town that has a few extra bucks. Although uh, didn't I just read in the Tribune that uh, that portfolio dipped a tad bit? Uh, with uh, recent uh, investments in gas companies. I did, uh, I did read that article in the Trib this morning, and maybe that's what leapt it into my mind, but I'm, um, of course, but, but think about that for a second. I mean, a billion, do- a, a, a billion dollars there would be, uh, would be easily scroungeable. I, I would think so. And then you get, uh, you get an even bigger billboard, right, for the church? See, Gordon? Thinking outside the box. Okay, That's all okay. I'm doing. Now, I know you're thinking outside the box, and I know this is a bit of a stretch, but would other owners in Major League Baseball approve that kind of ownership group? <laughs> I don't know. That would be interesting. Uh, but, uh, but well, would... One thing's for sure. You wouldn't be seeing any uh, you know, uh, tobacco chewing and spitting going on. Or well, I, I, don't know. I would think if you had uh, President Nelson on the, the Major League Baseball Board of Governors, you would think that the organization would be run a lot more honestly, right? <laughs> well, you're really thinking outside See? the box. I, See? I, I, mean, I, I, would be, I would be in favor of such a thing uh, because I would love to see another major league team here in town. And if, it, if, if a certain church... Wanted to get involved in Major League Baseball. You're right. That would be that would be remarkable publicity. Exactly. Right. It's a missionary tool, Gordon. Hmm. We're on to something. All right. All right. Uh, 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 of course, before I get angry tweets, uh, just we're just kidding. Uh, they. Uh, um, it's going to be. A pool of investors. I mean, that's that's what would probably have to happen. I don't I don't know how many. You know, you brought up the question, Gordon. I don't know how many people in our community could just pull out the old uh, billfold <laughs> and lay a billion on the table. I, I mean, that would that would truly be something. So, uh, but that's it, I mean, didn't A Rod just wasn't weren't there reports that he was trying to put together a group to buy the Mets? 
Yes, there were reports of that. And of course, Jeter put together a group to buy the Marlins. But I, I have to look at what percentage of the team he actually owns. I, I don't think it's even above 50. So, I mean, it's just kind of the way kind of the way but, franchises are, are purchased unless you're Steve Ballmer and can just right. outbid everybody by a billion dollars because you want it that badly. Which is your which is your whole point. You do it by committee. And uh, if you have uh, enough people who are interested in that sort of thing, usually there's a face of the franchise, but uh, there's other firepower included in that group. And maybe there's enough of those folks around these parts that might want to get involved. And in fact, this was an, kind of an underreported story, and it's, it's a little bit wonky, but the NBA uh, signed or basically came to an agreement with a giant investment fund that would allow NBA owners to basically sell off portions of their uh, of their uh, franchise if they need cash. So really? that, yeah, that uh, that happened last week. So we're we're seeing more of this, less of the one person or family owning a franchise, and more of a franchise being a, a group or a fund. Well, let's see if we can put something together. Uh, let me. I'll, I'll I'll send out the call right now. There you go. Uh, if there's anybody within the sound of our voices right now who has some financial uh, means, uh, call Austin. <laughs> get, get Austin. Gordon's putting together a group. Uh, what are we going to call it? The, the the Monson group? No, He's no, putting no. together some funds to, to buy a Major League Baseball franchise. This is a great idea. Let's see if we can, by the end of the show today, I want to see how many, uh, how many uh, millions we can stack up. Can we get to a billion dollars? In pledged <laughs> investments into a fictional we can Major League well, Baseball franchise. It's I a like start. It. It's it a, a start. start. And uh, look, Jake, you and I would prefer to be background kind of involved. We don't need to be out front. So if there's somebody out there with a big ego that wants to have uh, their face and profile right out front, we're certainly willing to uh, allow you that kind of thing. Exactly. All right. We want to remind you about our friends at RGS Exteriors. They will improve the curb appeal for your house with James Hardy Brickstone and Stucco Exteriors. Along with Soffit Fashion and Rain Gutters, check them out at rgsutahsiding.com. We'll have more coming up straight ahead. Don't forget what's going on. Top of the 3 o'clock hour. Sam Amick at 4. David Locke at 5. Big show. Gordon uh, Monson, Jake Scott, I'm live here at Wasatch Front, Kia, 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 770 West, Riverdale Road. Come on by and visit me. We're here promoting the big tent sale going on this weekend, the Katrubus Automotive Team Memorial Stimulus Tent Sale Event going on all weekend long. Come see us, 770 West, Riverdale Road, right here in Ogden. More next, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone.